All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Here for the Health of It podcast. I'm Dr. Randy here with Dr. Tom, as always. And we are Columbia's hottest and fastest growing podcast. And I say that with two pod, two fellow <laughs> podcast hosts here with me. Um, and I knew when Dr. Tom threw on a button down shirt today I that this was going to be a real serious. And episode. I went glasses for oh, the lawyers. And, and I just feel like it's a little more serious, a little more classy. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm currently intimidated by the class. <laughs> There's a lot here. There's a lot going on in this room right now. <laughs> uh, so we have Brian and Luke Sheely. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having yeah, us. We thank you. appreciate meeting fellow podcasters and smart, intelligent people with glasses that prove it. Yep. yep. We're going to dive in. I'm going to pull your microphone just okay. real close. Perfect. Um, all right. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, we're twins, uh, law partners, so we you know, we get to uh, work together on a daily basis. We share cases. We were just in a federal prison this morning, signing up a new case, a tough case. So we, you know, we kind of work together. We're best friends, worst enemies, all that kind of stuff. But cool. um, so far, it's working. This is our tenth year in business. And, you know, we've been slinging mud in the trial trenches for, what, 17 years, yeah. I think? No, yeah. so. Wow. Yeah. So you guys are the ones that go on trial, like yeah. like you see on TV. Closing arguments, opening arguments, all that You're stuff. You're right in all that. Luke once told a younger lawyer who was trying to argue with him about a case, you know, have you read this case? And he says, I am the law. So, yeah, I mean, if that's <laughs> Look, any that, bit about uh, it happened to be my how case, he feels about his feel. But yeah, we do lots of trials. Some lawyers aren't willing to really commit emotionally and stress-wise to that, but it's kind of like going to prison for the first time, which you, you guys are familiar with. Yeah. Um, you, have to, you, got, you have to beat up somebody instantly and kind of lay yes. down your marker. And then yes. the idea is once you do that, you, they, they won't want to do that um, down the road. So for better or worse, it pays in our opinion to be good at doing trials and if you can and you can get a good result in the toughest of tough situations and there you go and sometimes you can't golf your way out of it you can't you know him and haw right. and and, yep. and just the case might be too serious but there's just no amount of um kind of negotiating it just has to be done in court so that's when people call us so you so when you go into prison for the first time is it true that you have to beat someone up and if so oh yeah Tom's Tom's gonna be. What in do I do? Yeah. What? Yeah. What's Tom's move? Uh, take off your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Start with don't wear those. I mean, there, there are some people that are better suited for prison than others. Right. We're just meeting. You right. might equip right. yourself very well. I got to learn some sort of ninja skills or something. I, so sometimes you go see your client and they've been beat up or they've been in a fight. Is that oh, a yeah. thing? Totally. Yeah. All the time. Teeth chipped, broken noses. Really? Um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah, it's bad. And that's, we're not advocating for that. We were making Stabbed. jokes, but it, it, it is. Yeah. 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 I, well, I, I always wonder if it's just in the movies or if it's really how it works. It's really how it works, um, unfortunately. And federal prison is kind of a nicer, more well-regulated place than a lot of the state prisons. But and even some of the county jails are terrible. Um, yeah. Absolutely terrible. They're so. pretty well organized from like the, like there's a boss of the prison, right? The warden. Yeah. No, no, not even that. Oh, you're talking about criminal. I'm talking criminal. You're, oh, yeah. Oh, criminals. Called about your, your dorm lord. Dorm lord. Your dorm yeah. lord. Um, oh. So we once represented a guy on a murder case uh, in Broad River. And this was probably ten years ago, and he was doing life for murder, and he was the dorm lord. He was the 
the king of the yard. So he would have all these people running things for him. He was making so much money. I mean, there's so many prisoners that make insane amounts of money right. um, doing all kinds of illegal stuff. But this was a... It was like Shawshank Redemption, except yeah, yeah. instead of a sweet Morgan Freeman, it's like... Sam- Sammy. <laughs> Our guy's Sammy. So like some guy didn't pay Sammy's dues. And so pretty certainly he stabbed and killed this guy. Allegedly. Allegedly. But he was such a dorm lord. He had all of the COs paid off. So when they came in, did their own... And, and this was a really bloody, gruesome scene. And when they came and searched... Sammy's room, he had paid them all off and they were they went and searched a different room that he told them to this is like right afterwards. Like he was ready to do it. And so our trial was basically all these like really scared witnesses, but he had a crystal clean room, no blood on his sneakers, nothing. No so, shanks. No shanks, no nothing. And they turned over the dorm and there was all this other stuff everywhere. And Sammy was sitting here all clean and innocent. And he was brought in. Um, for trial, and I mean, well, it also didn't. It was just it didn't hurt that at the time of the incident he was like huge and working oh, out and lifting boulders. Right. That's but by the time wondering. of the trial, he had been in isolation on lockdown, supermax for, for eighteen months and oh, not wow. allowed any recreation time. So he just withered away into the shell, this little old man. No way. And he had like, these glasses. We, so we, we Charlie Browned him. We put a Charlie Brown sweater on him. So all our murder clients get Charlie Brown sweaters. Yeah, I was wondering about the look. And he, he needed some glasses, and he sat there, you know. Speaking in tongues the entire time. So 12, 12 months prior to that, he was this dorm lord. And then he was this little old man in trial, and he was sitting beside me and just saying inarticulate stuff. Just like right. He was suitcasing pins and taking stuff off the table. And, um, I, I would do steroids. If, if I was in jail, I'd do steroids first thing, I think. You got to figure something out. Right? I'm sure they got him in there. Face tattoos, you got to do something. And you got to, I feel like you have to do something. I'd have to kill, I'd kill somebody (laughs) day one. If I was in there for a long time. How you're you're not connected. You don't get anything. You got to get the super max, right? I'd rather get to super max where I'm by myself than. You have have to either be really scary or have a very useful skill or commodity. Yeah. So, you know, whether that's. Looking pretty like yourself. Adjust. You can. <laughs> <laughs> or what, whether that's like, you know, flexible. Be, being a good rider and like riding Wait, motion. I mean, both these guys have the most perfect teeth I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> what, what is this? What's uh, going on here? Great. I thought you guys are chiropractors. I, 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 I don't know. I once represented this guy who's a, only in prison for six months, like some young, you know, guy who had never been. And I looked up his. His picture, and I was like, oh, this is just kind of like a housekeeping. There's this charge that just needed to be run concurrent and, and no big deal. So I go to see him, and his max out date's like right around the corner. And he's all of a sudden, he's got these ta- these tattoos. This is probably like a PG podcast. So I no, you can. Well, she ideally, always admonishes me. Ideally. Yeah. So anyway, a lot of F-bombs. He, <laughs> he got literally prison tattoos on his eyelids of oh. F. Full word U. So when he blinks, it says no F Wow. And then he got homicidal maniac tattooed the word like that. Down, like, the, down side. the side of his face. I'm like, Brad, you're, <laughs> I was like, you're only here for six months. Why did you do this? He's like, man, I had to fit in and like look tough. And I was like, we have to go in front of a judge. And I'm trying, and, oh and we're going in front of a particular judge who's very old school. I was like, you're not going to blink the entire time. And you, we're going to just say you're into tattoos and that's your, your career. He was like, okay. So like, I was like, but he was one of those guys that was only there six mm-hmm. months and thought he had to do something. But and did he get out? Did yeah, he, we, got, out? we got the concurrent sentence. I basically glued his eyes open, and uh, 
but it was just weird. And some people are relatively chill. We've had some clients describe prison as adult daycare. Adult daycare. Mm-hmm. How's the food in there? Uh, it's hit or it's miss. It's like these guys are pro- like, so we're interviewing <laughs> you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people will say it's better than your local jail, except for Saluda. Saluda County Detention Center has the best uh, county jail pasta food salad. in the yeah. state. Great pasta so, salad. Over so there. most of the um, jails in the state of South Carolina are kind of headed up by the counties. And Saluda is very small. Like the size of your building is the detention center because they only have like 50 inmates in there at a time. Huh. We had this guy on attempted murder trial, and we put a lot of pressure on it. And then it pled kind of the middle of the trial, got the deal we wanted. And he asked the judge, you know. Well, he was a rather a portly gentleman. Anyway. Oh, he enjoyed his food. Oh, he loved it. He loved it. And he was like, man, can I serve my time at Saluda? And the judge was like, no, you got to go to the Department of Corrections. He's like, oh, but Mama Roos up here, she makes that chili. Oh, she, <laughs> she's, she's like, it's fried chicken day. And Thursday. And, you know, it's just she brings it in herself. And, oh, man. So, like, Saluda – Still rolls like that. They've got good food. The rest of it is kind of prefab stuff. It's not good at all. So. And he was like, but if I go to prison, that's all right. I'll get all skinny and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy was a major alcoholic, and he he drank. We didn't realize this until after the trial. But he was on bond. Good for him. It was a stabbing case. And he would show up with, like, a giant Mountain Dew, whatever wakes you up in the morning. And he would go across the store and get it, and then he'd go to his car, and we thought he was just getting ready for – coming to the courthouse, but he was filling it up with you know, vodka. vodka. So he wow. was sitting with us, and he was eating Jolly Ranchers the entire time, too, I guess, to cover the vodka. And he was just – he had to have that in him, or he wasn't mm-hmm. going to get through the experience. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> once the judge locked him up, as soon as the trial started, he kind of sobered up and was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels are coming off. <laughs> Um, so t- I guess, tell us about your guys' story, how you guys, I mean, obviously grew up together. How did you end up wanting to be lawyers and then why specifically criminal law or how did you guys end up criminal law? Well, our parents are social workers and we kind of, our lens was kind of through that perspective of trying to give back, help people, but I don't know. We just, I mean, we don't have any lawyers in our family. It just, sure. we kind of. This was our way to help people, but without being social workers, I guess. Um, yeah, we. I mean, we got degrees and things like psychology and stuff like that. Useless then, degrees. <laughs> useless. useless. You were like, I'm good at reading. Yeah. I, well, good I feel for people. Half of our family, there's a bunch of doctors, and I think we went into college like, we could do that. Um, you know. And then we took like organic chemistry and both <laughs> yeah. failed, and we we're like, ooh, no, no, no. We're not really wired for that. Um, so... <laughs> So we graduated, and then I think we screwed around, and we're just like, well, what can we do that helps people, but, you know, our skills are what we perceive of our skills, which at the time was, like, swimming and keg stands. We're like, what can we <laughs> what can we do to, like, help people? And so we, we ended up getting some jobs at law firms, and we're like, man, this is where stuff gets done. This yeah, is the, yeah, yeah. This is kind of the halls of power, and people are – Really moving and shaking. This would be cool. It can't can't hurt, right? Just take out like one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in student loans, and, <laughs> right? You're like twenty three. Like, what could go wrong? You're go gonna work, be rich, right? Work, right? work ninety five right? hours a week, right? Yeah, you know, you're gonna be rich. It doesn't matter. So, like, um, but then, honestly, we we both ended up going to school in Boston, and I staggered. I went like half a semester ahead of him, 
And he was working as a paralegal for a little bit, and I went to school. And then it was just about making a decision to come home and who's hiring. And just personality-wise, we were never going to – we wanted to be in front of juries, be in court, and the local public defender's office was hiring. And that just kind of we fell in love with helping a little guy, really, and just – Oh, yeah. I mean, we all that was part of our growing up experience. We'd always were drawn to the kid that was getting picked on and try to, you know – defend his you know his, you know his person you yeah, know yeah. i mean there's always bullies and so we hate bullies we also have a very healthy disrespect for authority distrust disrespect <laughs> yeah um so we've always loved to fight power and you know it's sexy too i mean criminal defense they don't it make is. movies about tax lawyers mm-hmm. right um i mean not, that would probably tank at the box office but sure. you know so we like helping people and also kind of it's tax season <laughs> what are you doing right. coming to theaters near you so being twins did you i mean you guys just basically decided we got to do everything the same like uh, not, it's a struggle i mean we we do like doing a lot of things together and you know but now it's more of a team i, I had a lot of real problems with my twin identity growing up, Luke didn't really care. Like I got upset today because we both wear blue ties <laughs> that had, yeah, uh, basically the identical same. I was tie. like, Luke, I gotta go change. He's like, eh. And that's kind of always how he's been. I've been very sensitive to who popped out first. Eight minutes. Nice. Eight minutes. Yeah. So, so you just beat him up just when you guys him, were kids. Beat him up. Yeah. And one. And so you have facial hair. It, yep. But is it always oh. like one has to have facial hair, one doesn't, or do you guys grow beards at the same time? We've kept this basic look for 15, 17, Bad cop, good cop. 20 years, and it's just to help. I mean, it's... We actually had a judge used to call us good Sheely, bad Sheely. Yeah. Judge Manning, yeah. who's recently retired of certain infamy, but very cool judge. Yeah. Now, believe it or not, the bad guy normally is clean-shaven. I'm the bad one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Luke's Luke's the bad chili for sure. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. All right. Now, um, you guys uh, mentioned judges. How important is it, and how, and how does that work? Like, a judge just gets assigned to a case, or do you guys have any say in what judge will, will see your client? Uh, it just depends. In, in federal court, a judge gets assigned to a case, but in state court, it's kind of a crapshoot. If you're going to plead somebody, you get a deal, you know, you can kind of negotiate about what, when, when it works for my schedule, maybe it just happens to be in front of a judge that's well known for doing right. nice things on pleas. But if it's a trial, um, depending on scheduling, sometimes it's just whoever's there, you know, there's typically judge shopping is somewhat discouraged, but it happens. Of course, everybody's kind of angling to get in front of a judge that right. every good lawyer does they think would be favorable. But, um, sometimes it literally just comes down to scheduling. You know, what are you doing that month? Certain counties sometimes only have like one trial judge a month. Um, we had a bond setting in Berkeley last week for a guy who was in a wheelchair who just desperately had to get out, just terrible health, amputee, recent heart attack, and we had scheduled a motion um, in Berkeley well in advance, but that judge just happened to be doing a trial the whole week. So the prosecutor was talking to me about, well, how's you know a month from now? I was like, this guy's going to die. Right. So I just kind of hounded the case until I finally got it scheduled in a neighboring county with a judge that was willing to listen. Um, and he's getting out today. Yay. So, but, um, 
but sometimes it's just a total crapshoot. But in federal case, the judge gets assigned pretty early. So that's helpful. Now, do you guys do research on the judge? Like, is that a thing that you want to, like, if you've never had the judge before, you will kind of want to know how they act and respond? Yeah. I mean, some judges are notoriously bad or good at certain things. So, I mean, there's a judge named Judge Barber, who's retired now, whose daughter was killed by a hit and run driver. So, like, you just, it was understood that you do not take traffic cases in front of him or running, running from a blue light. Hit and run. I mean, it just makes total sense. I mean, you'd hear your case, but <laughs> or if they have like if they have like a twenty year old daughter, then some of your witnesses you might want to have in the same age range so that they. Right, and we know most of the judges yeah. we're in front of, but if we have a judge that's in some far part of the state that's coming to our area because they rotate, you know, it's the old circuit system where at least the state level judges they will come through from time to time, and we don't know it, we'll jump on our little listserv and start asking questions about. Mm-hmm. What is this judge like on certain types of cases and people provide data? So it's helpful. So there's so there's somebody so have you seen the show Suits? Have you guys watched mm-hmm. that? Yeah. I had a client say something. I started watching something it. about suits recently. Like, oh you're just like that guy on suits. I was like, is that good or is that bad? It's like, no, man, that's good. And I was like, oh. all right. Harvey? Yeah, Harvey. I don't know who. I have not seen the show. Um, or Harvey. Hopefully not Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> <We need to laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um I've seen it. I've watched half of the first Harvey season. Harvey's Yeah, but it's like, he's a cool <laughs> a-hole. Yeah. That, definitely Harvey. But there, so it's, in that, I I feel like there was a lot of, like, high-intensity stuff. Like, it's your, you have to get a hold of this judge right away, or there's a big merger that someone's trying to do, and someone did something shady underneath, so you're trying to get him to court. So I'm wondering, and, and then sometimes I'll talk to lawyers on the other end, who, and they're like, oh, no, things just move slowly kind of all the time. So I'm wondering if you're speeding into things or if it's like, oh, it's three weeks from now, I have plenty of time or something's happening and I need to get to the judge tonight at 11 p.m. It, it depends on the case and what your goals are. Um, so, like, for example, the the guy had to get out who's going to die. I mean, I was, I emailed like four judges that week and was like, I got to get it. Da, 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 da. And like, right. Until finally one popped her head up and said, I'll hear this case. But some cases, let's say your case isn't great and, you know, time heals all wounds. Over the course of – have, we have a murder case that's 10 years old right now. What? 10 years old in Darlington. How does that work? Because <laughs> everybody's bad. Uh, victims are bad. Everybody's bad. Cops, you know, cops retire. You know, there's no real impetus. Co-defendants right. already in prison. So sometimes – a little bit of age on a case can give it the right pressure to kind of, you know, let's just, let's just work this out, you know, but have they been in prison for 10 no. years? You know, if your client's stuck in prison, then you have That's to push a long it. Time. Right. Yeah. No, he's on bond the whole time. Just kind of chilling, he, living his life. You guys, well, he wasn't chilling on it initially. You guys might like this. So <clears throat> we got the call 10 years ago. We were both, we, our family's vacation together. So we're on the beach doing our thing at Edisto. We get this call and it's from his mom, and he's in the hospital because he he's charged with murder. But he's also been shot through the spine a bunch of times, so he's in six ten, times. It's bad. Turns out it's bad for you. Wow. Yeah. So he's <laughs> six. So times we go to where he is, intensive care, and sign a contract with like, I mean, he's like holding it with his mouth, like signing signing the contract. But he he wants us as his lawyers. He's shaking. He's moving his eyes. That kind of stuff. And we were just kind of, this was a friend of our 
mom's friend's housekeeper. It was a really loose connection. We we're like, well, how's he going to pay us? And we just kind of signed it. We we're just like, all right, we'll figure it out. Well, just to prevent him from being interrogated. In that, that was in that true. Moment. Like, oh, it was like cops were, cops were waiting were, at the door for him to become lucid enough. To so we get involved just to stop that because that's, Hannah, it's really important to, we have STFU Fridays, um, which <laughs> go to our Instagram and you can understand what that means, but it's all about um, not saying things that are stupid to cops. But so we signed him up just to prevent the cops from interrogating him. And then he hires in full because um, it, while he was in the hospital, his house got set on fire. Boom. Don't know who could have done that. So <clears throat> the people that were involved in the shooting, the families burned down his home. They, they got charged. And, um, no, they didn't. They didn't? No, the cops just looked the other way. Like, okay, okay. Well, so he had some insurance based off that. And then. Uh, wow. But then, so you got paid for it then? Eventually. Yeah, I remember going out to his trailer, and his mama said, get all that money. Don't let him spend any of it. Get all that money. And he had all the hospital bed and all the machines, and he had all this kind of stuff. And he was pretty, fairly relaxed about his physical condition because he had been shot before, I believe. So He's yeah. been shot a lot since. He's been shot a lot since. <laughs> so. He's doing all right. I think he's a changed man. I think he's grown out of that phase of his life. Uh, phase for sure. Some people are just survivors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy sounds a like a survivor. Mm-hmm. So what percentage of your clients would you say have been shot at some point? Ooh. Mm. Punctured. How about stabbed as well? Let's include stabbed. Ooh. Got to be like 85. Just shot at? Would we include that? I think shot at would be included. Well, yeah. You know, so we, half of our practice is devoted to very, very, very serious stuff like murder cases. And then the other half of our practice is smaller stuff that we don't do as much of. They probably have your average DUI case, your drug case, your breach of trust case. But, you know, probably half of those guys, you know, people that have kind of living rough and grown up. Like the guy we saw today, I'm sure, has been shot or stabbed for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now, we, like, let's talk client privileges and some of the stuff that you guys hear. When you guys, <laughs> that's good. Are you guys like priests that, in a sense where they they're gonna you want to know everything, right? No. Mm-mm. Oh, you don't. Mm-mm. So the more you guys know, it can hurt your client. Yeah. No way. So we we have to play this very. Well, we we have because you could get put up on the stand. Well, it's not necessarily that we would never disclose that, but we want to always reverse engineer. Our, def- our best defense is with our clients. And we tell them this. And the best way to be a, a really good criminal defense lawyer from a client evidence standpoint is I'm not just going to meet them for the first day like we did today and be like, hey, buddy, so you got this massive eight-count drug conspiracy. Let's yeah. talk about it, man. Let's what talk about it. No, yeah, how'd you, you do? do? No, no. So what we always say, and some guys, especially on a body case, are dying to tell us stuff that they think in their mind is going to help. Right, right. And we're like, no. Don't no talk kidding. to us. Not See, until I, I get the that. evidence. Not until I get the evidence. And then we, because yeah. oh. we can never put up a client to lie. We've got ethics. We can't, but I know clients have lied to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can never put them up on the stand knowing no they're lying to me. To tell, I can't do that. So like, so you guys we'll get the evidence stand. and we'll say, here, here are the two or three best defenses for you based on the evidence. I'm sure one of these is is the way to go. Oh, I sound great like that. Yeah. Um, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, Mr. Sheely, it's it's door number three. That's the one I want to tell you all these years. Fine. Good. Yeah, yeah. But now you haven't told me a billion different lies in between where I think you're lying. I can't gotcha. put you up to that 
right. self-defense. So analysis. you guys get all the evidence first mm -hmm. to yes. then see, I guess, the direction you want to take the case. Mm -hmm. Now, when new evidence gets pro provided, then you, is it kind well, of screw you? That is, that is why sometimes we can't know the full story until, honestly, like a week or two before trial. I'll give you a good example. So we did a murder case two, two months ago now. It was um, a young lady that it was self-defense. Her stepfather was trying to sexually assault her to get back at her mom who, who broke up with her. And she would buy drugs from this guy and hang out. And for years, she had not personally had any problems, but she had seen this guy be a monster to other people really violent, right. bad, like local drug dealer. And so, you know, and we kind of got involved in the case late. We we're helping out some other lawyers already working it. And basically it was the week before trial. And we just got a bunch of cell phone records that were really kind of like, so we had the cell phone records, we had the text messages and all this kind of stuff, but we did not have the full phone extraction. Like they can totally... Anything you've deleted on your cell phone, right. anything you've searched, anything. Randy's little nudie files yep. that he has. Uh, Fully yeah. extracted. Right, Fine. right. Even yeah. if you think you've Thousands of pictures of myself, someone has to throw scroll so, through. <laughs> right, right. Here's another one. <laughs> so we always knew that she shot this guy with his own gun in his own home, and then she fled. She said she left his gun in the house, and then a kerosene heater uh, was neglected over two hours of this guy being dead, and it caught the whole house on fire. And so she always told law enforcement, he attacked me and I ran. I just left the gun there. And so we're like, that was the story we were developing and talking about how she defended herself as he was throwing her around the house and trying right, to like pull right. her pants off. And so then the Wednesday before we were starting trial on Monday, we had just gotten this cell phone extraction from the state because they're constantly like slow rolling discovery. Not, we just had an attempted murder trial um, continued last week because of a uh, discovery abuses. But anyway, so we just got the phone records and we're prepping our client with her like second really meaningful, like, here's what happened. Let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about the law of self-defense. And then we got an emergency call from our digital forensic expert, Chris. He's like, guys, what are you doing? Talking to our lady, get her out of there. Come talk to me. And he's like, have you talked with her about the gun yet? And we were like, we're just getting to that, but right. we think we kind of know. And he's like, well, she's trying to sell it on Instagram. And she deleted it, but I could the file's still there. I could definitely oh, see God, it. And the man. state the state has her phone, so they've got it. And they're right. gonna ambush her with that at trial. So so that was 10:30 on a Wednesday morning. And I instantly said, All right, Chris, and we went in there and we were like, You tried to sell the phone. We're like, young lady, where's right. where's, the gun? where's the gun? She's like, <laughs> and she's like, Ugh. she's like, Well, I was gonna talk to you guys about that. And I was like, All right. And so she, what'd you do with the gun? Because the it could have matched so many things. It could right. help to corroborate her story. What kind of gun? And she's like, it's in a lake off Leesburg Road. And so by noon, we were all, Luke and I were in the lake on no. Leesburg Road. You two were in the lake? Oh, we got pictures. We were in the lake on Leesburg <laughs> no. Road, like wading in, trying to find this gun, which we couldn't find because it had been two years. Since I was she, like a foot from that gun. Yeah. <laughs> you were but close. It had been two really? years since she tossed it. You guys um, had metal detect. You, you just put on uh, your swim no, trunks we, and metal detectors. We just had on like waders, and we had. We waders. just went out there, and so we couldn't find it. So we had our scuba. We had our scuba diver. The, uh, <laughs> oh, I care. Hannah's that's got a insane. Oh, that's <laughs> actually in a lake. It's not yeah. even shallow. Is it shallow? That doesn't even seem that shallow. It's not shallow. No. <laughs> so and then um, we hired a scuba diver by that Friday. He found it. He, he found it in like forty minutes. 
and we found the gun, and then the rules basically. So then we've got an actual gun used in a, yeah. in a murder. So the rules basically say that we can briefly inspect it, and then of course we have to turn it over to law enforcement. So the Friday then before the trial, and it matched her description perfectly. Perfectly. Right. So it wasn't like she was just trying to help herself and or screw the case in some way. I mean. At that point, we knew they were going to try to bust her with her trying to sell it because it always seems bad when you're trying to get rid of something. Mm-hmm. But it, the, the reason that was important for us is because they wanted to say that this was a, a killing full of malice. She was trying to protect her mama. She was she was always went there with the mindset to kill this guy as opposed to using his own weapon and taking it from him as he was trying to wrestle her to the ground. And so the bullet they pulled out of this guy, it had the same characteristics as being fired from a whole class of guns, including this gun. And so then when we got it and we turned it right over to law enforcement, they came by and they're all like, what? And we told the prosecutor, and he was like, what is this mysterious gun? We're like, go test it. And then um, it became very interesting in the trial because they sat on it and refused to test it because they didn't want to help strengthen our case. Right. But, I mean, then, they, but then they looked like they were refusing to test evidence that we were bringing to them. So, Gosh, there's a lot of thinking in this, huh? Oh, at, yeah. And swimming. Look. And That's swimming. Swimming. You guys are good swimmers, as you mentioned, though. That's it's, it's it's helpful. Yeah. Former lifeguard, you know. <laughs> what, what, was the, what was the verdict? How did they well, turn out? It was a guilty um, because STFU Fridays. She, so before we got into this case, we got kind of brought in as hired guns. She got interrogated for, what, three and a half hours by law enforcement, really well-trained law enforcement to oh, give. Yeah. And she lied. She was like, she kept first, changing her story. First, she wasn't there. This is a poor black woman mm-hmm. who had never been given a shot at anything. Who it's just like trying to get keep your hand out of the cookie jar. I wasn't right. there. So and then as they kind and of young, made her, right? Like tw- in she was 20s? 24, yeah. 22 at the time. Yeah. So she gave about ten different versions of it before she finally broke down and came clean with an investigator who was trying to work her, but made her feel like this. I mean, it was a there were four investigators. Um, and they're trained in a very particular way to, if you're denying, they just want you to get you there. And once they get you to commit, let the lawyers deal with it. So they're like, we know you were there. And they're allowed to lie to you, too. They can yeah. tell you real evidence about why you were there, right. and they can just make up things. That's, so that's something that's mind-blowing to me, because yeah. I've been told that before. Mm-hmm. They can say anything they want, sure. full lies. Yep. The only thing they can't do is, like, threaten you with a death penalty or something. But they can totally lie and be like... We found your DNA at the door, and they may not have. Or on a co-defendant case, hey, your buddy next door is telling us everything. He's rolling all over you. Yeah. He's told us everything. You just sit there quiet. You just sit there quiet and then take your life sentence. We see, already see know, how that turns we out. We already know what happened. And that's, so, a, that's a real so high-level like, tactic. What's so, the be- is the best thing to do? Just say zero until yes, you guys yes, show up. Yes. So just you don't have to Shut respond at all. the F up. Just what is, yeah. is the way... All, they, all week long. Maybe tell calls. a few jokes. Maybe tell get, a few jokes, though. <laughs> maybe. Maybe lighten the mood a little bit. But it's just like remain remain silent. Remain silent. Silent, silent, silent. Because, silent I mean, the, the odds gotcha. that somebody without a lawyer is going to provide a perfect, plausible defense. And to police, most of them are very black and white. You yeah. either, it wasn't you. And if you can come in with that evidence all by your lonesome and survive the barrage of interrogations and more power for you, that's like one in a thousand. Or... I mean, they don't care about self-defense. Like, right. I don't want to talk about the active case, but this guy in the wheelchair, it's 100% self-defense. But like, in order for them to not charge you, you'd have to be like in your home, asleep in your bed, and like it's like straight from The Shining. Like, here's Johnny. Like some criminal has to be coming through your door. Right. 
and you shoot once through the door while on the phone with 911, and maybe they won't charge you if it's that clear cut. But if there's any grayness or fluidness really? in there, you're going to get charged because it's political. Because chiefs of police and sheriffs get elected by being tough on crime. Yeah. So it's like, I'm charging everybody, unless it's just 100% obvious. I thought if they came in your house, period, you could just zap them. You can. And then, so they charge you, but you're going to pretty much get off because they entered your it, house. It, but it has to be, for police not to charge you, it has to be so overwhelmingly obvious. Um, I mean, we've had... Like, if their body's dead in your living room, right. isn't that obvious that they were in there? Or maybe somebody would drag them in? Well, if if you were if they were invited there and police don't know... Oh, I mean, they, police want to see a home you. invasion to not you. charge you. They want to see, like, your door being kicked in. Stranger danger. Mm -hmm. Right. They want to see young. They want to see Hannah by her bed, waiting as like loose criminal. You know, the guy from Pennsylvania who climbed his way out, makes his way down to South Carolina, and she pops in one as he comes on her window. That gotcha. is easy Obvious. enough where they can like, all right, no charge. Okay, they don't, sounds good. They don't like domestic stuff where there's. Let's say we've represented. Here's a fact pattern: a lady with no record has an estranged, abusive father of her children who is on trespass notice with a restraining order, and he comes over because his children are like his property, mm -hmm. and he wants to go mark his territory and come over and be on his own lady a little bit. And so he comes over, and he gets drunk, and he does that, beats on his old lady, our client, and she calls the cops. He rips the phone out of the wall. Cops show up. She's been beaten up. He's hiding in the back, and he says, if I go to jail tonight, you're going to die. And So she says, I'm sorry. I... He's gone. I, it was just an argument. And they say, yeah, we're going to arrest you next time we come back here. Although they note she looks scared and disheveled. Disheveled. Her <laughs> hair is all over the place. Wow. And she's got tears everywhere. Door closed. He comes out the back and starts choking her in her own kitchen. And she's got no phone. And it says it's a struggle to the death on the floor of her kitchen. A drain rack falls over in the struggle. And there's a blade right there. And she grabs it and plunges it one time into her as the life is being taken from her. That's the case we had. Mm -hmm. And then she runs next door because she's freaked out, calls the cops on a cell phone, comes back in, and the ambulance gets on, and the EMTs are walking her through chest compressions and try to keep this guy alive until they come, and his head is in her lap. Yeah. It's her father of her children. He was going to kill her. And she, she was very vigorously prosecuted. Vigorously. Really? Oh, yeah. Hey, wow. Yep. So, I mean, that's – and, again, that – we started as public defenders, so that's a public defender case. So she didn't have any money. She didn't have any privilege. She didn't have any anything. And I remember um, when we when we started this firm 10 years ago, we took that case pro bono because we felt so passionate about it. And we got an offer, like, day of trial for five years on that case. Murder carries 30 to life. And so we got an offer of, of involuntary it manslaughter. Straight, it was straight up. But we straight got, up, we to, up to five effect. years. And I just remember her words. She was just like, listen, because we were fired up. We're like, no, no, you can't take that. But it's always her choice. She was like, listen, I appreciate you guys. I really appreciate the fight. But, like, my babies will still be babies. And, she, and this is a lady that had never been given anything ever in her life. So we took that, and she got fired. So she went to jail for five years. Mm -hmm. For saving her life, right. Dang. So, I mean, it's... Holy shit. So that's kind of thing where, I mean, and there's evidence that he, like, forced his way into her home because she yeah. got him out for a little yeah, bit yeah, and yeah. he, like, forced his way back in. So just outrageous stuff. So um, it's just that it would have been at the jury's, like, 
in the hands of the jury at that point mm-hmm. if you were to press in to try to get her off completely. We she just didn't yeah, want to. She we would have. We felt confident about that case. You never know, yeah, but yeah. but she was risk adverse. So she was like, "I don't want to do a trial. Thank right. you for all your work." Just scared, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then she's out. She's are there cases like that? I mean, I feel like you, you guys have been doing this ten years. You said seventeen years. Seventeen years. Been brothers for ten years. <laughs> Um, I don't know where I got 10 from. We've had our firm for 10 years. But the amount of of cases that you guys have had, do you still like have nightmares or you just think about certain cases a lot where you're just like... Oh, oh yeah. Every night. How do you deal? Like, do you guys go to therapy? What's the... We were talking about that this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have gone to therapy. I've had an ulcer that I've named a specific client before. (laughs) It was a juvenile charge of murder. And we do a bunch of pro bono cases, which we yeah. really shouldn't, because um, it just kills us. We but did three three body cases this year for free, which is just dumb. don't don't advertise dumb that. dumb yeah. dumb on our. Um, but it's tough, and and the legal profession is one that, of course, is well known for alcoholism and suicide right, right. and. We had one of our colleagues pass away just last week who was a criminal defense lawyer, very well-respected, well-known. It wasn't anything like that. It was natural causes, apparently. But I mean, you don't know the toll it takes on your body. So this being a podcast about health and wellness and things like that, I mean, we, we kind of joked on the ride over here. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you just internalize it. If you, the problem is right. if, if you're a criminal defense lawyer, which we predominantly are, if you don't care, then you're not doing a good job for your client. So you have to care. Right. And it shows. But when you do care, you just absorb all that stress and guilt and trauma. Some of our best, I mean, some of these people are our good friends, you know, by the time we get through with representing them. and But they're doing life in prison or they're doing 35 years. I can, I can think of three murder clients right now that we see every other month or so. Tyshawn, Sherman, and Adrian that are like in our lives. Like you go to prison and see them? They didn't go to prison. Well, they're out. Did, they're out. <laughs> <laughs> we handle their pieces. <laughs> like they'll come back in. We win a lot too. Now. It's not all <laughs> losses. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So these are these are winning cases, um, and one in particular is in litigation because the cops just screwed it up so badly. But um, they'll come back in they'll, and they'll just pop in, say hello, right. or refer us a car wreck. So we've had, we have lawyers in our building that do civil stuff too. But, um, but we, we're, we're still working on the answer to that question of how do you do it yeah. and not suffer. We asked that question to one of our mentors, um, John Delgado, who's had a great career uh, in Columbia and throughout the state. And he's kind of at the end of it, and he's got this great mountain house. And he pretty much stays in the mountains and doesn't really come down except for the big case from time to time. But we asked him about that, like, how do you do it? And he basically, not being super religious, he said, well, I will, I mean, he's spiritual, but he's not like church every Sunday kind of guy. But he's like, I will go to a a church and listen to the choir and just listen to, especially any kind of choir that has young people in it. And, you know, the beauty of the music and the hope and the young people's eyes, he's like, that lifts me up. And I'll take that in and I'll think about all the good things in the world when I've just been, you know, had my teeth kicked in for a month in a terrible trial. Um, a lot of our really good friends do death penalty work too. Talk about a, an experience where you're, I mean, yeah, that's, that's trauma. Nice. Like all of our, and we have two of our good friends in particular that absolutely have trauma from that. Just can't, I mean, just seeing that stuff and trying to. Got to uh, be a little autistic, I think, to just 
deal with that, right? But I mean, I, I in theory that'd be great if you, you could just, just zero look at it compartmentalize just, it. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think the really good lawyers that do what we do are like the ones that um, can't look away from the trauma; they absorb it. So it's always unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's that for an answer? Just unhealthy. unhealthy. Yeah. Well, well, I I visualize the mental health issues not like not just in the legal firm. You're like in in general is insane right now. Mm. So are you seeing a lot of your clients and you're like, oh, this person just has terrible depression, terrible anxiety. They're on all these different meds. They're trying to basically self-medicate themselves with whatever. And then all these bad things happen. All the time. Yes. Um, see a lot of that. A lot of people and people come see us at their worst times in their lives. <clears throat> and so, and that's across the board basically. And so, you know, we find people at their lowest and, you know, we feel, I do feel positive though, when we meet somebody that's having a really hard time and they're seeking good lawyers and then they feel really comfortable with us. And then they say, I, just, I feel so much better right now after this meeting. And that always makes me feel good. But again, we're like, we've taken on a great weighty responsibility. So, you know, we're trying to make them feel better, but, you know, we're thinking about, you know, how to plot their case in a way that's going to save their bacon. Uh, I want to know about your guys' coffee and sleep regimen. Mm, lots of coffee. Lots of Not enough sleep. But we try to get a decent sleep. I mean, coffee is, you know, about three cups in the morning. Three? I'm at six. Well, before I leave the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we go. And then you got to hit Starbucks or drip. On the way. And then there's a midday coffee. And then there's, there's no nighttime coffee unless we're, like, working late. I, uh, I get up really early. What time are you getting up? 4.45. Oh, kidding. Um, I'll text Hannah and email her like at 5.30. I'm sure she's not even up yet. I'm like thinking what about What are you doing, yoga? I um, try to exercise, well, <laughs> intermittently try to exercise. But, you know, in theory, I've, I've gotten up in, in enough time to really exercise. Or, yeah. But sometimes if I'm stressed, I'll just plot and plan and, and kind of get my day or week or month organized and think um, you know, ideas and stuff like that. So, nice. like, I mean, we try to get as much sleep as possible. Like seven hours, got to get that. We're not the types that are like run no, like three hours yeah. or something. Yeah, just not can't cr- function. Not crazy. So you're going to bed at what time then? Nine. I'm, uh, I'm I'd like to be in bed reading a book at nine. Yes. I'm more like a ten o'clock guy. I'm not. My phone's on silent, so I'm not really doing anything. I'll yeah. re- read or watch a movie. You know, I've got my dog all cuddled up. I'm, I'm not. We are not late owls. Six cups. So six cups of coffee a day, you would say? Maybe eight. Gotta be. Yeah. Um, Nine. six and six before ten, and then maybe an afternoon cup. <laughs> a little americano. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, I got a story that I want to ask you guys about that I heard just like dynamite for DUIs. And I'm not condoning this by any means, but I feel like we got to put it out there and see if how this would work. So what I was told is, say you had a few beers and you got behind the wheel, which we don't want anybody to do, but you keep a bottle of vodka underneath your seat of your front your front seat while you're driving, but you empty out all the vodka, fill it with like this much water, so it's clear. And if you get pulled over. You immediately get out of the car, shut shut it off, throw the keys off to the side, get out so they can see you, chug the water outside the car while the cop's coming up to arrest you. 
And if you do that, you get an open container and maybe a public uh, disorderly conduct. Disorderly conduct, but you, be, but you you're definitely getting tased. And tased. <laughs> uh, but do you think you guys could defend that? I, I think you're getting a DUI regardless. <laughs> because so say they do like what they They're were like, saying is is yeah. your, your blood alcohol is going to be still high, right? Yeah. But they can't prove that it wasn't from you chugging the vodka with that they could see on tape. They're going to be like, yeah, but any you, thoughts you, you chugged the first half of it prior to driving and you just down the last half trying to get rid of evidence on tape. Uh, a similar, I always wondered a similar kind of theory. And now there was, um, what was that? Okay. So I think their answer is no, that's not as brilliant as <laughs> you thought it was. Generally, um, Could you I, I, I knew a lawyer <laughs> who would get into a, like a wreck because he was a chronic drunk. And he would, if he could do it close enough to his house, he would just walk. Now that's leaving the same and leave accident. The and then cops would see this lawyer's car, know it, run the plates, go right to his house. You parked it. Ding dong. They go to the door. And he's like, oh, he's got a liquor drink. He's like, hey. Yeah. A deer just jumped out in front of me, and I got so shooken up, I had to have me a couple of Jack Daniels. <laughs> now that, you're, you're showing impairment after the fact. Right. So you're, you're, they're going to want to take you in and get your breast sample, yeah. but you're like, well, well, I was shooken up by the deer. I mean, what do you want me yeah. to do, not have a drink? And so it's after the fact, but like that, that could be successful. But generally, good DUI advice is be polite, be respectful, do not answer questions about drinking. Do not do any field sobriety. Be polite. Politely decline. Oh, yeah. How sobriety. does that? Yeah. How do you do that? So they they come up and they say, have you had a few drinks tonight? You just say. No. Oh, no. You, so you say no. <laughs> you, you can say no. I thought you just say or, silent. Or, or, <laughs> just, just not how does it, I, I, uh, just can't, like, Yeah, I can't speak. <laughs> so if you politely remain silent, am I being you know stopped? Am I being charged with something? Well, I'm investigating you for driving under the influence, sir. Well, that's strange. Well, um, step out of the car here, please. And then you're going to politely decline that. And the best way to say it. Really? If you, if you you're yeah, yeah, you're allowed it, to? That don't make it that point, These are things we don't know we're at allowed that point, to do. Yeah. They don't tell you that you're allowed to decline that. They're just like, step out of the car. And you can right. say, you can just say, listen, I've heard that kind of testing is pretty pretty subjective. Or you can be yeah. like, I've got a police officer buddy who tells me this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> or just, you could be like, he tells me not to do this. So. Right. So then, understand. You're so just if you haven't it. admitted to anything to drink, and they're always going to say when they pull you over, you know, smell alcohol about his breath and person. That's their cop speak for right. how they wrap that up and glassy eyes and slurred speech, unsteady on his feet. So decline the balance and coordination test that anybody in the middle of the night with four or right. five cop cars around you, blue lights and cars whizzing by. You're not going to want to do that. Right. Politely decline that. They're you're getting handcuffed. Oh, you're going to jail. It doesn't yeah, matter. But they yeah. haven't, then they don't have any evidence on the side of the road. And let's say they pull you over for speeding. Okay. I sped like all day today. Mm -hmm. All the way to federal prison and back. Yep. Trying to get here for this pot. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And then when they take you down to the data master room, the breath test, because we don't have mobile, anything like that. Well, so no mobile nope. breathalyzers. I've Not heard that, and that's insane. Right. Yeah. So they're going to take you to a jail. They're yeah. going to handcuff you to a bar and yep. say, blow in this tube, dude. And you're like, no. No, thank you. 
and you're being video recorded. So don't don't piss yourself. Don't, don't vomit. Don't just Good keep point. it together. Keep Good it together point. for twenty. He minutes. gets a little car sick. That keep it together, <laughs> and then the cop on the way there is just swerving. <laughs> and then they will have. You know, I love. I hate having repeat clients of that nature. But when they when they call back in, they're like, oh, like literally, we got, I got hired on a guy last week. That's the sixth time we've represented him on a DUI. Oh, gosh. But so, guess what? He didn't say anything. He didn't do any tests, either on the side of the road or in the data master room. And he even acted a little indignant about how dare they. And I said, all right, dude, we're going to take care of this wow. one, too. I'm just like, come on, man. Dang. So, so, that, so eventually they take a blood test. Nope. Only if it's a felony DUI. So like if, if you hit somebody. If you hurt somebody, they can draw your blood. Yeah. Okay. Or if you kill someone, they can draw your blood. But just your average DUI, they yeah. they can't take your blood. So if, if you damage property, like I, if you run into somebody's house, nope. can't they unless can't that it. person is hurt. Like unless they, there has to be a person hurt. Mm. Wow, this is. I don't have. I mean, I don't know if we should be does, telling this people. Doesn't this. even make sense to me. All right. So so how do they hint. find out your blood alcohol level? Or they can't if they don't if they don't have it. Then that's a good case for to be defended, right? So you just stay a night in jail. So they, they try to incentivize you giving it. So your license gets suspended if you refuse. But if your license, if you blow above 0.15 it's or crazy. higher, it's going to get suspended anyway for yeah. a short amount of time. And then and then we can have you driving on a different license within 24 hours after the arrest. Really? Yeah, it's called a temporary alcohol license. <laughs> <laughs> the USA is unbelievable. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. Well, here's, the, here's the thing. Lawyers are the ones making all these laws. And lawyers right. like to go out to dinner and have a couple of glasses right. of wine. And then they, they don't want to drive home. Doctors like to do it. All the people in power like to go to that fancy dinner at Ruth Chris. Have a couple, have a couple drinks. And, you know, the law is, you see, I mean, I'm not an advocate for Wait, being reckless. Halls? Halls. Whatever. Halls. Wherever, the, yeah. wherever the people want to go that have money. I think we're friends on it. social media with halls now. So uh, we're going to okay. talk about halls. Halls, halls oh, is the place oh, to get yeah. your steak and cocktails. I, I do. And I legitimately love halls. So good. I like how so they, when they bring the food, it's like 10 people coming yeah. all at one time. Yeah. You feel like yeah. a... A king. Yep. But, but it's it's not illegal to have a drink and drive. It's illegal to be materially and appreciably impaired and drive. Whatever right. that and that's different for you. Right, right. Than it is for Hannah than me. Um Hey Hannah. Hey Hannah. She's here but not on the show. It's really weird, right? Yeah. Hannah, maybe tell people. We, we, we keep hearing her. references to Hannah. <laughs> Hannah, maybe tell She's people who Hannah is. Donna from suits for these guys. Oh yeah. But Hannah's the smart one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. She saw. Uh, do you guys have a private, like a private investigator, like somebody that you? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. Hannah? It could, uh, it could be. She comes from a long line of private investigator she's, pedigree. She's perfect with us. Her dad is a criminal defense lawyer, and her mom was a private investigator, and so she was really nice. meant to be somewhere in this field. But instead, she just we're gonna is, corrupt her one day, and she'll be working in a different capacity for us. <laughs> <laughs> with us. With us. There you go. Oh, we do have an in-house investigator who's currently on maternity leave. Paternity leave? Uh, paternity. Um, which is leaving us a little shorthanded right now. So, What's your guys' process like day one? Do you have a, a formula that you – or a, like a setup of questions that you ask somebody? Or is it kind of just you show up with a blank notepad and – It depends on the stop case. Stop talking. I mean, <laughs> you they, just walk in and say, stop talking. I mean, You they, say that's enough right they there. A murder case, we're, we're going to tell – that person about our experiences, about our track record. We're going to know some things about if, 
did you give a statement? Did you not? Are there witnesses? Are there co we try to figure out what police know at that point or right, what they right. think they but, know. But so we're we can, not we can, having that whole thing. Now, if it's a DUI client, we're gonna, we can have a little more of an open discussion about, you know, how you looking, what's going on, did you fall over, you know, in the data master room, did you... I got a call last week for a guy that blew 0.21, which is pretty high, but he hit a cop car and a cop in it. And I was like, ooh, that's good information. Yeah. To know. yeah so I kind of want to... Legal fee was like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa! But, you know, there, there's sometimes, even though we kind of play this finally walk game of not getting them to pour out their souls to us, we do. there could be certain investigative tasks that need to be done now. So if, if they've already given a statement saying, I was at this truck stop 10 miles away from the murder or crime scene, then we need to go to the truck stop, get the surveillance video. If there's any chance that there's an alibi, we need to pull his cell phone, figure out what is his GPS data doing, what right. kind of texts is he making. Just get, it, get a lot of evidence before it disappears. Uh, whether we end up going that route or not, based on the full picture, there's certain things we have to do quickly. So a lot of times it's figuring that out and also figuring out basic client goals. The, the other thing is the state system and the federal system are so different, completely different engines. I mean, one's diesel and one's gas. I mean, <laughs> like the federal system moves so quickly, it may be in our client's best interest before we even get the evidence to to go cooperate. The federal right. cases are built so much differently. They're real cases, years of investigation, wiretaps. I mean, we once had a multi-state um, drug client, federal client, and he called me up and he was like, yeah, I just got like totally busted for all the spice I was making in my house, but they didn't arrest me. I was like, oh, they did not arrest you. They just took all your drugs and everything and your whole operation from your basement. He was like, yeah. I was like, uh-oh. And he was like, did you know I leave you a card? He's like, yeah, I got this card from this like this agent out of Texas. I was like, uh-oh. So I call it up, and he's like, you're going to want to meet me. And so 30 minutes, he had his laptop out, this case agent, federal agent out of Texas, and he was like, here's your boy. And he literally has a PowerPoint of the past two years of our guy, like surveilled, wiretapped, like every – like he mixing in his basement, like doing all this stuff, like putting things in the post office. He's like, your guy is – your guy's life's over. In, in these 15 slides. And here's the law, here's the exposure, but we just really want his help because he's taking uh, this stuff that's clearly killing people and really bad, but he's laundering it through these labs that are really the bad guys. Right. It was like Project White Whale is what it was called. Of course, you, whenever it has a, like a crazy name, you're like, oh, <laughs> White <not> Whale. <laughs> so, so then we're like, oh, so they didn't arrest him because they want us help with these labs that are like printing out this as like incense and selling it to all these shops. And it's like getting people really, really high or killing them. And we want the, we want the labs. Um, so that was white whale, but I was just like wow. blown away by the level of investigative right. effort on a federal case. Yeah. Uh, at state level, it's just like sometimes just some cop is like, I got a hunch. <laughs> um, and you're like, Oh, I'll take your hunch and I'll <laughs> smash it with my hammer. But like the federal system's different. So. Lay of the land does matter. Yeah. So if, if you're taking, if, because if, all that stuff that you're talking about DUI, I had no clue. And I'm sure you take all kinds of different cases from all across. Like you, you wake up one day and you don't know what you're going to hear, what you're going to see. No idea. And there's got to be some that you're like, I just, 
I'm not taking this case. Or I this guy's lying to me and I don't feel right about it and I'm not going to do it. Or do you, as you know, professionally, you, you take the cases because everybody deserves the right to a good defense? Yes and no. We, we do more than others. We believe that everybody, the worst of the worst, deserve the best possible defense because it is a it's a slippery slope. Like if if the heinous, really bad folks who are poor and terrible and just have everything up against them, if they aren't being vigorously defended, then when you're a really innocent person, you know, has a similar charge, but no one gave a crap about the first guy, you start not giving a crap about this person. Pretty much your whole system is upended. But so we we take the worst of the worst murders. We take some of the most horrific, you know, child sex cases and other things like that. There's only, the only people that we don't take, if they come in just unreasonable and this like barking orders, we got a few of the January sixer calls and we declined to take their cases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think those are the only ones on like a principle that we're like, mm, nah. I mean, we yeah. defend the constitution so vigorously. <laughs> I mean, he's a little more hardline than I, I would be like, I'd, you know, probably take it. But like when the, when they start barking orders about what they want and they don't know anything about the law, certain personalities, we just kind of, we either decline or we quote such a high legal fee that we know it's not going to be You hope it goes realistic. away. Then and every now and then we get surprised. Like, oh, my God. Oh. I cannot believe they came up with that. Like, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. So, not it. Not it. <laughs> hot potato, hot potato. How many cases are you guys working on at a time? We have associates that help us on the smaller cases. Um, and, this, you know, then we've got 10-year-old murder cases. And so right. that guy will or call just, in, like, once every four months. And that's not really um, – so there's active cases that are really hopping. Yeah. And then there's backburn cases. I'd say probably the active cases that are real attention grabs. Like in the current six-month period, might be like 7,500, like constant work. Hmm. No, not that many. The ones that we are as a firm, or like you and me individually, you and me, fifty, twenty-five each. Feels more than that. Yeah. <laughs> so and you know, I mean, what's like the typical length of those? Or are they all different? Like, are some solved in a week? Uh, some can get knocked out pretty quickly. Um, I've got a crazy investigation going. Pen currently that involves a private private polygraph that we're working on that I'll get knocked out really quick. Um, that's a really serious allegation. I've already got a lot of stuff, um, alleged victim, social media that discredits her completely, family statements, school records, and then the internal polygraph will be the cherry on top of that Sunday, and that should go away real quick. But, like, you know, some are massive, and we've got a – Talked to a guy today that's got a double murder in Charleston um, with a trial date in December that's going to have to get continued, and so that could be a six-month thing. But um, and we have a homicide by child abuse at the end of the month that's like a three-year-old case. I mean, it's a culmination geez. of tons of And the other thing is, too, evidence. is like, I mean, we can't, you can't just go full tilt boogie all day long on these cases. So you right. have to kind of have these action items and kind of get them going. Send a subpoena here. Send yeah. my investigator to talk to these five people, and you got to do like boom, a little blast of energy, and you kind of do the same thing with another case while that's going, and then things are kind of coming back, and then you have to kind of re 
organize and focus. And then, I mean, really it's, it's a lot of client management. It's a lot of investigation and, and then really um, fine tuning the evidence, make it because the prosecutors just sit on stuff. It's not like, not all the prosecutors are like, I'm going to make sure that this defense lawyer doesn't have this, but they're just like lazy or it's just like, Oh, I didn't really look for this piece of evidence. Oh, okay. So half the time we're we're only like really getting gnarly with a case a month before a trial, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like this homicide by child abuse case. It's really starting to heat up. Um, so and you, I was going to ask about the associates that are because you have you have associates that are helping you with your cases, right? So you have these younger lawyers that are mm-hmm. coming out of school right now. Mm-hmm. They hate um, us. Absolutely hate us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I hear a lot that this next generation coming out is pretty soft. And we see a lot of that. And I hear I, a lot of that. We see, we see a, lot a lot of, of it in the chiropractic world for sure. How old are we're, you guys? Almost 40. Almost 40. All right. So we're 45. So we're of a similar age. I agree with that. I I will agree with we that. We won't disagree with it. They're they're coming <laughs> out of they're coming out of school with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and saying, I don't want to work Fridays, yeah. Saturdays, Sundays. And if you can have me not work Mondays, that would be helpful too. As like, and what day? Well, yeah. Let's maybe say what day can you work? And they're like, well, I could do Tuesdays from twelve we've, to four. We've noticed then, that folks like that, the lawyers as well, who are right out of school, for whatever reason, expect a perfect work-life balance yeah. immediately. Right. And, and people, when they they know what we do, we heavy hit in criminal defense. And we sue cops, and we do some personal use. We do tough stuff. It's not like we worked our entire weekend. It was our 45th birthday last weekend. We didn't do anything except work because right. we had a trial, and the client's going to go to prison unless we put in all that yeah. time. And it's just the way it is. Now we did have one of our associates working foot for foot with us. Thank you, Julia. Julia. Um, she's great, but she's, she's furious. She's ex- she worked all weekend <laughs> long with you. But she's an exception to the rule. And then Michaela worked, of course, the entire time, um, waiting on her bar results, but. We have had some folks as well, and uh, just general observations. Not Hannah, of course. She's like, she's an old soul in like a young, young person's, you know, body. But um, we've noticed it, and I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And how? Do, and so I'm curious. This is just my me personally. Like, how are you weeding that out in interviews, or what questions are you asking, or how lo- how many chances do you it's give, tough. or what? In, is the inter- in the interviews, we were like, listen, this this is real. Like people. We screw up here, people go to prison. Yes. Right. And so, like, don't come in here. And we tell horror stories. And we tell war stories. And we tell about difficult periods that we've experienced. And some people are like, okay, you're right. I probably shouldn't be here. Like, get out of here. So that's one way to weed them out. And then some of them are like, I really would like to work here. I think that you guys are doing what, you know, I think is good. And then they'll get in and be like, oh, my God, it's too difficult. We've, we've been burned yeah, a couple yeah. times. Lately... Because of me, I've been. This is terrible. By it's the way. not terrible. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, you guys don't do this. I've been politely suggesting that an applicant for whatever position um, do like a personality test. 
Um, you don't do this. <laughs> Brian? <laughs> Brian? We 100% do yeah, it. Yeah, we oh, do, do it with everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at these okay, guys. Okay. See? We do you're, some weird stuff in here. <laughs> you can ask Brett. <laughs> these guys are successful. They know what's up. So <laughs> lately, I've Wait, been... are they successful because they have padded walls? <laughs> they've, <laughs> they've got a podcast. <laughs> we have a podcast. We're Columbia's hottest chiropractors, too. Yeah. Come on. I mean, the, it's the face and the hair and the teeth. And so, right. Um... See? So anyway, we've been doing that lately. <laughs> Randy, it, Randy asks our interviews, how much do you think I can bench press? Is it more or less than 200 pounds? That's a part of our I do ask part of that. That's a part of our interview and process. Here, but here's why. Let me explain why. Well, I am always curious because he, he can but barely and hurts himself. <laughs> but you know pretty quickly if a person's like socially comfortable or uncomfortable based on how they answer that question. So sometimes someone will say, They'll look at him and be like, oh, I bet he can do more than that. Look at how big his arm. Like, you know, they joke with him. And then it was like, all right, this person kind of understands like, it was a joke. It. So we had one person who just stared at his arms up and down for the most uncomfortable manner of my life. Dead silent. Like, and, and I'm looks, like, I don't even know what to do. I mean, is that a short sleeve day do when I, you're asking that question? Yeah, well, yeah. He, I mean, he's there playing. He's given, he's given these. But it went on way too long. Way too long. And then just looks him dead in the eyes and goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and your pre-fires. I really wasn't hired. Now, um, now, how, do you guys use ChatGBT a lot now? I was thinking for like when you're writing closing arguments or anything like that, you can just pop it in and we haven't. But I think uh, Ju Julia. Yeah. Yes. Oh. The other day, Julia. I'll say her name again. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, stressing. What was it? Her? I think it was Hope. Oh, it was Hope. We were working with a young lawyer who just like. It was on that case we were diving for a gun. Um, it was her first trial. She did an excellent job, by the way. Excellent hope. Excellent. But she just played around when she was stressing about an opening and what to say. And it, it just kind of printed out this really pretty good opening. Yeah. And she was like, man, <laughs> she didn't use it, I don't think. But like it, it was fascinating. No, we don't. We have not done that. Maybe we should. Um, Might get better results. <laughs> subpoena, like you could just get a subpoena together with four keywords probably. Now, are you guys ever worried about your safety? I was thinking about that. We've been, um, not by our clients. That's what everyone thinks. Like, oh, you've got murder yeah. clients and big bad people. Right. Like, yes. You're in the room. You walk they, in the room and say, take the cops off them right away. Yeah. There are, there are people. Yeah. They know. I mean, a lot of lawyers who don't have good relationships maybe are fearful of their clients, but we've never been concerned about our clients unless they're really mentally ill. Now, we have been attacked by um, alleged victim family members, especially on murder cases, attacked us in courtroom, parking lot. Physically? Mm-hmm. We tried. What, tried quite hard. What um, kind of moves do you guys have? Run pretty, <laughs> run pretty quick. Um, I, I mean, I remember um, we had a, a really bad double murder in December that when we got into that case... We've got this, one of our best friends is a public defender, and she keeps on asking us to do these free cases. And we love her to death, and we're like, okay, bar. And usually it's over a glass of wine at our favorite bar, Goat Feathers. And she'll be like, oh, i got the perfect self-defense case for you guys. And she'll tell us about it, and we're like, ah. Oh. And this would be because like, okay. she really believes this person is. Oh, she believes is. everybody. But, I, yeah, okay. but I remember that bond setting um, – that came, uh, two or three came running down at us at the bond setting, and Judge Price had to, like, cancel the bond setting. I remember that. And then 
Yeah. Uh, he granted it, but then he he ran off the bench. Well, no, it got canceled for lunch break. They cleared the courtroom, and then he granted it. Oh, okay. Um, I just remember folks running down. <laughs> that lady that I was telling you about, our client that took the five-year deal, mm-hmm. her that guy's family that she had to kill to okay. save her life were shoulder-checked in the hall. We got, yeah, in the wow. hallway. And, and then there was one where our client, we um, – what we was that the one we got um, taking down the judge's elevator? Was that Anthony or was that Brittany? That was Anthony. So Anthony was a guy that we won a jury trial where he stabbed a guy 18 times in a moving vehicle in self-defense. It was this high school bully. And he was with his brother's wife. His brother had been deployed, and he was just going out with her. And she was picking up a friend, a girlfriend, and that girlfriend brought these two dudes. And these two dudes happened to be really bad guys, oh. one of them had beaten up our fairly nerdy um, friend, you know, a couple of years back in high school, and he was upset about it because our guy called the cops then. So basically there's, like, some physical stuff going on from the back seat. Our guy's calling the cops, and he was – our guy was, like, a 100 pounds soaking wet. He was in, like – I mean, he's – I remember we were prepping his case for trial. Like, he yeah. was a guy that was always the – always picked on, always picked on, and, like, just – Captain of the chess team, right? And like marching band, and like looked a little weird. And he was wearing this Angry Birds T-shirt. And I was preparing him for like that moment when he was calling the cops, and he saw that gun being drawn to the side of his head, and how it made him feel. And he was like, he was like, you know, I was, I don't know, you know, I was, I was gonna like defend myself. And I was like, all right, Angry Birds, because he had this t I was like, no, you were scared. That's why you pulled out your little pocket knife when, right. he, said, when he said he was going to kill you and your family because he knows where they live and he's tired of all your stuff. Right. And you literally wrestled the gun away and you got into a stabbing match with an inch and a half blade and nicked his artery and he died. But during that trial, when we won that, the courtroom went crazy. Wow. Thing, chairs being thrown and everything was going crazy. And we had to get – my pregnant wife was there. Um, this was 2014, so – that's wild. That my is oldest wild. daughter's nine year. I had this great deputy. He was a courthouse deputy, Cooper. I was like, get her out of this courthouse. Well, we had to get escorted out of the judge's private elevator, which we don't know supposed to really know about in the courthouse. Yeah. Probably the scared us out of everybody does. Was when we were investigating a murder case and all the evidence kept pointing towards a police officer as being the guy that actually did the murder. And we had to present that defense. That was where all of our evidence led. And it wasn't like we were just, we weren't happy about it. I, mean, right. I started carrying a gun all the time, and we had to go through that public courtroom and present the evidence. That was really scary. That infuriated the judge and the prosecutor, and I think right. that police officer was there, of course, because you got to – I'm not going to say his name, and he has, has continued to be promoted very high in the Midlands area, but, like, we had to – they called him to the stand, and we had to ask him if he wanted an attorney before he answered the questions, and, like – had to, mar- had to Miranda. <laughs> Dang. Wow. Well, our buddy did. We were trying this case with our friend who's no longer – well, he's back in um, – he went to be a prosecutor for a while. But it was pretty pretty intense. That was that was scary because – You just never know. Mm-hmm. And it was not like just a rumor. We had credible evidence that we, we had were presenting. We had three witnesses that said this guy told the victim the night that she died, she was strangled, that he's come to kill her. And we had other stuff, video and all kinds of stuff. I don't want to, like, reopen that old wound. Right. But that, you know, that was when I started carrying a gun nonstop. Yeah. yeah. I've got two in my pocket right now. What's your uh, concealed weapons? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
Um, how about after a win? Do you guys have any celebrations that you guys do? I imagine your wives just can't keep their hands off you. <laughs> you just yeah. go home. You say, "Hey, uh, it's such the opposite." We just—it's <laughs> such the opposite. I mean, our wives are like, like, "Don't." Care. I've been dealing with the kids for two weeks. Get home. Get right. that, my wife will like. All right, you can go play, and she'll normally join me. We'll go to our favorite local bar, Goat Feathers, in Five Points, with the best bartender in town, um, Opie. Orlando Patterson. Yeah. Um, and we'll just celebrate. It's like a um, criminal defense bar, and everyone's normally like knows about a case really? and what's happening, and we'll just kind of use it. Are we allowed? Yeah. yeah. Are we allowed to go there? It's, sure. It's the coolest bar. Are we going to wear a suit and tie? No. Yeah. No. All right. We have some. Uh, we'll get, we'll I've get never you been in. there. Yeah. We'll get you we just drop your guys' names now. We have Dirk there. We own some art that's on the wall, some finely curated. And art. You guys don't have a special hand, like a twin handshake or anything like you we do? We actually do. We do. You do? <laughs> oh, let's see it. This uh, is great. Sometimes if we really want to upset a prosecutor, we'll do this in court. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there had to be. So we had, yeah. So we're like a really uptight prosecutor, and one comes to mind, um, we had an attempted murder trial. It was actually that the guy that wanted to, do his time in Saluda, who was going to get all, you know, he loved that Saluda kind of jail. We were meeting with the judge, and we were, we were waiting on the judge, and she's like, so, like, it's like, what's your deal? Like, you guys think you're going to do X, Y, Z in trial? We're like, yeah, we are. And then, like, Luke's going to be crossing up your cop, and then I'm going to tag out, and we're going to tag out like this. We're going to do this handshake. And she was like, you can't do that in court. And we're like, yeah, we do it all the time. <laughs> and we were just telling you, like, you got to get out of Lexington more. <laughs> yeah. That's so. awesome. Last thing I was wondering about is we deal a lot of like personal injury. You guys do personal injuries? Yeah. Yeah. What, what on the medical side, what are things that we should be like, what should we do to make it simple for you guys to just like, we don't take on cases anymore that don't have lawyers. Number one, that's always our, our policy. And so we just want to know what's a simple way to make sure that it just goes smoothly. Uh, or you're, even you can do it the opposite way too of your pet peeves that you get. Or yeah, what are, yeah, well, what are, you know, and we have, we kind of in our shop are kind of up here, and we're lots into the criminal cases, but we have such an, an exceptional civil side that we kind of jump in as they get closer to a meaningful point. But I would, you know, our clients are just not great all the time with like once the treatment's done, like Letting notifying us yeah, yeah. like right away. So I mean, honestly, if we even knew from a provider, like, oh, they're done with treatment and everything's good. Like just a phone call or like an email. Right. That would really be good. Um, I would like a picture of agony of the client. Yeah. Went, oh, the picture go, you know, speaks a thousand words. So I mean, that's actually interesting. Like range of motion pictures. Like we started uh, like this and then we got on like right. that. Um, but you know, I'll, but good. I mean, honestly, knowing when treatment's over before the client gets around telling us. Do you helpful. guys know any good chiropractors that we should be sending our clients? Might need help getting well again. Well, it's, it's funny because I've talked whenever I, I I'll call and talk to a lawyer about a case or if someone comes in and I'll call and talk to them. They're they're generally pretty nice and don't ask like a ton of, you know, they're just very cordial and whatever. But I'm I'm usually leave the call being like. Are they happy that I called? Were they like, why is this guy calling me? Or why is he, why is he telling me stuff that I don't care about? Um, this location is great, but we sat for 15 minutes for a train to come by. 
Yeah. And then there was a fake train. So, like, it let the, the arm went up, and then it was like, just catch Juke shout. No yeah. way. Came yeah, I've seen again. that. There was no train. We're like, what? <laughs> so we ended up going around a couple blocks up. To, mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Yep. Wow. Yep. So. Cool. Well, we have three locations. Oh. Oh. Well. So two of them, no trains, right? I don't think, think there's any fo- trains in Forest Acres. You're good on trains oh, yeah, over there. No yeah, no trains yeah. over there. Yeah, nice. So you got uh-huh. Forest Acres, and what are the others? One's, uh, you know where um, Inakaya is? Mm-hmm. On O'Neill DMV. Court? Yeah. DMV. DMV, that, that, oh, yeah. that's us in there, too, yeah. That's the OG, that's the original one. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. What, and then how do maybe tell how people can find you or what the best means to get a hold of you is. Um, we have like a signal, right? We <laughs> There's a lot of cars know. going around local jails <laughs> now. <laughs> um, the inter internet is a good way uh, to find us. Mm-hmm. Catch us on <laughs> telephone podcast. <laughs> you guys gotta hype your podcast. You gotta hype your Instagram. Uh, I mean, personal Instagram. Do you guys roll personal Instagrams pretty uh, heavy? Not really. I mean, Hannah helps us with our Sheely Law stuff, but we got the Insta. We got the Twitter. Mm-hmm. We've got the, the Twitter. Facebook. Yeah. We've got the. TikTok uh, and the YouTube. YouTube is blowing up. And the MySpace. Nice. <laughs> you guys what? No MySpace? MySpace. Yeah. My I wife. Still have mine active. The way that my wife um hooked me is through MySpace. Really? Yep. Wouldn't she poke so, you? No, she's well, I for sure. <laughs> she's like, what you bitch? But she saw my favorite, she saw my favorite meal on there was lasagna and just started constantly coming around saying, like, I'm making lasagna tonight, wanna come over? No, no. Sure. Nice. But you could only have eight. I think in MySpace you had to have eight friends. Right? You could only have eight top friends. Like you had to rank yeah. your friends. Yeah. Like There's the only a certain, certain amount. Yeah. Is that why that model was so successful? <laughs> eight I friends. Know, that's, that, that's all there was. And then you, and then everybody had that one friend who hacked the system, and he was automatically put on there. Yeah, like people Tom missed out Tom, on Tom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tom. Tom. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, everybody, we appreciate you guys being on yeah. here. Yeah, this, We've enjoyed this is it. Awesome. Everybody, go check them out. All their all their TikToks and Twitters and <laughs> Instagrams. Uh, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks, all guys. right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Here we're here for the health of it. For the health of it.